All right, you can make your way back to your seats. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. One last time. Right in the middle of the Scriptures, you might turn to Psalms, then there's the book of Proverbs, then there's Ecclesiastes, and we're going to turn all the way to the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12. This is our last Sunday looking at this book. It's our normal practice most of the time, 70-80% of the time, to go straight through books of the Bible, and therefore we don't miss anything, therefore the challenging passages are included, we have to deal with them, uh, these kinds of things. And so we're finishing up this study in Ecclesiastes, and it's been a, a wild ride. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of sad, uh, honestly, to be leaving it behind. I love this book. I've read it more than probably any book in the Scriptures, just over and over and over again. And uh, this will be our 15th and final week in this book, and we have Solomon closing out today. I told someone before the church service this morning that Solomon knows how to land a plane. Uh, this is an amazing ending to an amazing book, which shows us what we've said from the beginning, that um, this is an amazing piece of writing. As uh, Herman Melville said, this is the truest book ever written, according to him, writer of Moby Dick. And so he, he recognized the genius of this wisdom, and many, many have, many others have, Let's finish out with these last few verses from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, verse 9 through the end. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads. And like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end. And much study is weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. This is the word of the Lord. There's a speaking technique uh, that you'll hear people use, and you've heard it in a number of different scenarios. I'm going to give you a couple of different examples, but I call it the one more thing effect. One more thing, and I've seen this in a couple of places. I grew up watching reruns of the show Columbo. Now, I know gener generationally we just lost like half the people in the room who are younger than me, and so, um, and I was not alive during the, you know, when Columbo was released, but I watched reruns. This is an old show, um, and it featured a homicide detective, last name Columbo, and he was this detective who always solved the crime. He wore this gray raincoat everywhere he went, and he had this unassuming kind of way about him. He seemed kind of silly or seemed kind of dumb or he seemed like he didn't really have it all together. And so people wrote him off as not being uh, someone who's very smart, but he would he'd always be the one who would solve the crime. And uh, one of his catchphrases was, just one more thing. And what he would do is he'd be having a conversation with the murderer. Of course, the murderer has already been introduced in the show at some point before, like Scooby-Doo. You know, it's going to be one of the characters that was introduced. And... Um, 
And so he's, he'll be talking to them and describing the crime, and he basically explains it away. He's like, uh, you know, well, it couldn't have been you because of X, Y, or Z. You couldn't have done that. You wouldn't have had enough time to be there. And so the murderer is like agreeing with them, thinking that they're getting away with it. And, um, and then he would pack up and he'd start leaving, or they would start to leave, and he would always just say, just one more thing. And then he would reveal the one thing that made it possible for them to do the thing that he said before they couldn't do. And he solves the case with just one more thing. Here's another example. Steve Jobs, founder of Apple, uh, when he would have the, the annual party where they would release the new products in 1999, he started using the phrase, one more thing or one last thing. There's a whole documentary about this. He would give the presentation about all the new products that are happening at Apple. And then as everybody's starting to pack up, he would say, one last thing, and in 1999, it was introducing the Apple Airport, the new wireless computer that you can have internet and not be connected to wires. I mean, that was an amazing thing in 1999, right? Not that long ago. And, uh, and so he says, just one more thing. He's talking about the computer and the display, and he picks up the computer and walks to the middle of the room, and everybody's like, <gasps> you know, and, and starts clapping, because like, he just took a, a computer that's connected to the internet somewhere else. And it was this amazing reveal. And so that became a thing for Apple. One last thing actually reveals the most important thing. It's the left hook. When everybody else is disarmed, when everybody else thinks that things are over, when you start packing up your things, so to speak, then you get hit with the left hook. And today we are looking at Solomon's one last thing. As he lands the plane, as he finishes the work, he actually tells us the key to understanding it. He gives us one last thing, but it's actually the most important thing. And just like Steve Jobs, just like Colombo, the one more thing ends up being a series of things, right, under one heading. And that is exactly what Solomon does. He gives us four one last things that all add up to this one thing called wisdom. Here's the main thing I want us to see today. The end of the matter is this. To live a life of wisdom, that's the one thing, listen to one message given by one shepherd and pursue one calling while trusting in one hope. One last thing. It's actually four things, but it's all together one thing, simpler than it looks. One message, one shepherd, one calling, and one hope. And this is important for us. As we are all people who are scrambling to understand the best way to live life, the, the way to understand true wisdom, and most of us feel exhausted and overwhelmed, unsure if we're living the best life or the life that God wants us to, and Solomon simplifies things for us. He says, first of all, you need to listen to one message. One message. Verse 9, Solomon says, besides being wise... He's writing about himself now. The preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. Solomon spent his life collecting wisdom. The book of Ecclesiastes, also the book of Proverbs, we're told here, it's not just like Solomon's nightly journal thoughts, right? He's not like my day, you know, like writing out things. 
He actually spent a long time doing this. With great care, weighing, studying, arranging Proverbs, he spent his life trying to get to this message of wisdom. He worked hard to make it perfect. Of course, the Holy Spirit, we believe, makes all of God's words perfect and effectual to us. So we're, we're given God's word here by the Spirit. But don't miss that Solomon used his unparalleled wisdom to gather and very carefully put together for us this amazing work. He gave himself time and space and energy to make sure that this was it. Now, we've established already how wise Solomon is. He was the most amazing person who ever lived in terms of his intellect and span of knowledge. The Queen of Sheba said in 1 Kings chapter 10, Happy are your men, she visited. And she came into his courtyard and she said, Happy are your men, happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. 1 Kings chapter 4, we're told exactly how wise Solomon was. Let me read it for you. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all the other men, wiser than Ethan the Ezraite. I mean, you know he's wise if he's wiser than Ethan the Ezraite, right? I mean... That guy was wise, right? Right? I mean, we all know that guy, right? Uh, no. Ethan the Ezraite, the, and, and Heman, and Calcol, and Darda, the sons of Mahal, and the, his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees from cedar, that is, Lebanon, to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke also of the beast, and of the birds, and of the reptiles, and of fish, and people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. This is how wise Solomon was. The sand on the seashore was like his mind. People wanted to listen. talk about the cedars again. Just, just talk about cedar trees. We'll listen, right? That's how wise he was. And he worked hard. And this was the result of his work. This message, in a word, it was wisdom. And what is the content of this wisdom? In summary, he says, look, it's three things. Verse 10, the preacher sought to find words of delight. Uprightly, he wrote words of truth. Verse 11, the words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. The content of this message was beauty, truth, and challenge. All in one. It's the trinity of wisdom. Beauty, truth, and challenge. Words of delight. Solomon sought what was beautiful and meaningful in the world, even when it was hard. And haven't we seen that? Haven't we leaned to this book? Haven't we seen how amazing a source of delight it is to see the way that he describes one thing, but he's also describing another thing? In the world and in the world of words, he wrote beautifully. He also sought truth. Uprightly, he wrote words of truth. In his pursuit of beauty, he did not abandon the truth. And hasn't this book been unflinching in its honesty towards the way things are in the world? It is true. The futility of our work, the hard things about our relationships, the inevitability of death, these are things that are true that Solomon has brought. 
beautiful and true. Also, thirdly, challenge. Words are like goads, firmly fixed. What's a goad? A goad is the pointy stick that you'd use to keep cattle from going off the edge of the cliff. It's painful. It's the pain that leads them in the right direction. Motivational pain. And haven't Solomon's words been a challenge to us, goading us into the right path, making sure that we understand the futility of anything else other than following God. And that's why this book and why all wisdom is so satisfying, because it speaks to the heart that longs for wisdom, for the right path. And I know that I'm not the only one who is a seeker in this room, who's searching for the truth. And you may not even know what you're looking for. But may I suggest to you that what you really want is all three of these things. You want something that is beautiful, something that is true, and something that is challenging. Because if something is true, it's true, but it doesn't have beauty or it doesn't have challenge to it, it's boring. If something is challenging, so it calls to us and makes us think about things, it's challenging, but it doesn't have beauty or truth, it's overwhelming. If something is beautiful and you recognize its beauty, but it's without truth or challenge, it feels empty. And so what Solomon says is God's way of wisdom is sufficiently deep for the greatest mind to, who ever lived to dive into. And so he says, I have gone before you and I have sought to do the thing that we are all looking for, to find truth, beauty, and challenge from everything in the world. Everything I've tried, I've sought these three things. Now, he says something amazing in the second part of verse 11 that should shock us. Verse 11 ends this way, they are given by one shepherd. One shepherd. The mind of Solomon, vast as the seashore, sand on the seashore, the wisest person who ever lived, who sought truth and beauty and challenge in all of the places in the world, says that all of these things come from one shepherd, one source. Think about that. This shepherd that he refers to, of course, is God. He is the great shepherd of the sheep. In fact, he says, if you find truth, beauty, and challenge somewhere else, you should beware. He says in verse 12, my son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study is weariness of the flesh. Don't spend your life, he says, like I have, spreading yourself out too far looking at for truth in all these different places. Actually, I've done that and I've found that all truth has one shepherd. All truth has one shepherd. Now, he's not saying here that we should hate books or that there are too many books in the world. That's often how it's read. He's not saying that Amazon and Barnes & Noble are evil for having all these books. Well, those companies may be evil for other reasons, but we'll leave that to the side. But, um, you know, it's not because they have books. Of the making of many books, there is no end. He's not bemoaning the number of books. He's saying, rather, it's almost impossible to do what I have done. It nearly killed me. It's weariness to, to think about all the truth that's out there and all you have to process. 
It's exhausting. I, re- I feel that. I hope you feel that. What he says is, basically, follow me in this. Hasn't that been one of the themes of the book? Watch me. I've searched it out. Watch me. I've already made the mistakes. Watch me. I've thought about this. Watch me. I've found wisdom, and all this wisdom goes back to one shepherd who has given this body of wisdom. He says, firmly fixed are these collected sayings. Literally, the the words there are the collections of the masters. There's a whole body of wisdom, that is the Scriptures, that are given to us by one shepherd. And so you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You don't have to... You don't have to go out and search for truth and beauty and challenge in all these places. You can actually come to one shepherd and find everything that you need. And this whole time, Solomon says, humanity has been shepherded by one shepherd. This is the story that God has given us in the Scriptures. God, who is the shepherd of His people, Israel. Think about Israel and all of their wanderings in places. Aren't they like sheep? They're like sheep who have gone astray. And God, the shepherd, he led them with his hand, like a shepherd does, out of Egypt, the mighty hand and an outstretched arm, through the wilderness, into the promised land. And he gave them this land and this place. He shepherded them to these good and green pastures. And then when they walked away from him again, he shepherded them into exile, the place, again, a place of wilderness, like they had already been through in Babylon, but God was still leading them. He led them from place to place all the way to the fullness of time when His Son came into the world. And this Son, like Solomon, was David's Son. And yet, unlike Solomon, He was David's Lord. And this Son of David says in John chapter 10, I am the Good Shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And the way that Jesus seals his shepherding over the house of Israel is through his own death. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And now, to follow God as the shepherd of your life means that you become a disciple of Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, the greater Solomon. And we recognize That in Jesus Christ, we have what we have been searching for. Truth, beauty, and challenge all lead us to the Good Shepherd, Jesus Christ. You don't have to look for those things anywhere else. You don't have to be searching on every website and parenting blog and periodical or whatever it is that you read. All truth when we are shepherded by God, leads us to His Son. And in Jesus Christ, we have truth, the person, beauty, the person, and challenge in a person. And when we give our life to Him, we have been led by God into wisdom. See, it's one message, a life of wisdom, shepherded by one shepherd, Jesus Christ. That is wisdom. And when we are brought in, then, to His kingdom, we are given One calling, one calling, he says in verse 13, the end of the matter, all has been heard, fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. 
Pretty simple. Fear God, do what he says. And doesn't that follow based on what we've just said? If he is the great shepherd, if he is the one who is leading us towards the good, true, and beautiful things, then it would make sense that we should follow him in what he says to do. Fear God. We've already talked about fear a number of times in the book of Ecclesiastes. What does this mean? The way we've defined it. Fear of God is awe that leads to a controlling influence. It's an awe of God. It's, it's standing before him and trembling. It's saying it's not the, there is a bad fear in Scripture. You read verses in Scripture, perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment, the Scripture says. We don't want the kind of fear where we're wondering about our standing. We want the kind of fear where we stand before God with awe. Actually, the two kinds of fear are in the same passage in Exodus, where the people of God are standing um, before the mountain and and they're afraid of God. They hear the rumbling and they fear and they go far off. And then Moses comes to the people and he says, do not be afraid, dot, dot, dot. And then a little bit later in the paragraph he says, fear God. Two kinds of fear in the scripture. A bad kind of fear that leads us away from God. This is not leading us away. He's not saying you always need to be worried about your standing with God. He's saying fear God means that you stand before him with awe and trembling and wonder. And it leads to a controlling influence. I need to do something with my fear of God because I am so in awe of him, I need to follow him with my life. This good shepherd who leads me into all the true beautiful and challenging things that my heart desires. This is the message. Fear God. This is the calling. Fear God and do what he says. And he says literally, this is it. This is all of what it means to be human. This is the whole duty of man. The word duty is not in there. It just says this is all of mankind. It's just everything it is about being a human being in one calling. This delightfully complex book has a simple calling. You don't have to understand Solomon fully. You don't have to have plumbed the depths of who God is. You don't have to be like the Apostle Paul and have gone to the third heaven. You don't even have to be a deep person. While God is immeasurably deep for those who want to go deeper, He created us for a simple task, a simple calling to fear Him and to do what He says. And I wonder if we know how simple our lives can be. That what the Scriptures say and what God has said is pretty straightforward, not in everything. But we often come to God with all this complexity. What about this? And what about this? Show me what to do. We can say simply, what does it mean to fear and obey you in this circumstance? That doesn't clear up everything. Sometimes we are going to feel lost. Sometimes we're going to feel hopeless. But just because this, the situation is complex doesn't mean the so solution is complex. It could be easy. Your goal is to say in whatever it is that you're experiencing, how does this circumstance, in this circumstance, can I demonstrate a fear of God and an obedience to his commands? Pretty simple. One calling. Finally, one hope. Verse 14 ends this way. The book, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. God will judge. He will bring everything and sort it out. 
all of these mysteries, all of these complexities, all of the secret things, He will sort out. Now this, again, does not need to be a fearful thing for those of us who are in Christ. There's no need to fear God's judgment if you are covered by Christ. He has already judged your sin in Jesus in the death of His Son. So, as a believer in Him, I don't read these last words as a fearful thing. I read them as a relief. God will sort it out. My understanding may be lacking, but His is not. His timing is perfect. And He can bring to conclusion all of the complexities that I notice, even the evil things that are in the world. One writer said this way about the end, summing up about the book of Ecclesiastes, as we've seen the word vapor or hebel over and over again, vanity, sometimes it's translated, it's over and over again throughout vanity of vanities, vapor, vapor, vapor. This is the, what someone says, time and events are not vapor for God, only for us. That sums it up. Time and events are not vapor for God, only for us. That is, the two perspectives of Ecclesiastes said in one statement, life under the sun and life under heaven. We live life under the sun, where there are things that we don't understand, where there's all kinds of complexities, and we can't be God enough, we can't be God at all, but to see and to understand them. But there is another perspective. It is life under heaven. That is, that God does know what He's doing, and He will bring everything into completion, every secret thing, whether good or evil. We don't live just under the sun. We have every hope because we live under heaven. We are now given this call to live a life of wisdom. And even though it seems like it's just one more thing, it's actually everything. There's one message, pursue wisdom. Where do we find wisdom? With one shepherd. He has all of the wisdom that we need. When we follow this great shepherd, he gives us a calling, one lifelong calling to, to obey and be in awe of him. And finally, we trust that he, in the one hope, that he will sort everything out. This is the end of the matter. Let's pray. Thank you that you are the great shepherd of the sheep. And that we can fear before you in the best possible way. That you are someone who commands our awe. And that controlling influence to walk with you, to, to do what you say is not random. It's not, uh, it's not just pieced together truth. It's found in one place, in this one unfolding story that you have given us, the great story of your shepherding, that you from the very beginning of creation all the way to your return and restoration of all things have shepherded us. And we find ourselves in this story, believing in one hope. I pray that you would strengthen our hope this morning, strengthen our hope in Jesus Christ. Even as we come to the table, we taste and see how good he is, that we would be strengthened and nourished to fear you and obey you with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.